Let's get our Bibles out. Open up to uh, Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. So I'll be talking about baptism today. What it says in the Bible about baptism. We'll start with Matthew chapter 3. So we're talking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist was about three months older than Jesus Christ. And uh, uh, he was used by God to introduce the concept of baptism. Um, There's no mention at all of the word baptism in the Old Testament. Uh, There's a type of baptism when the nation of Israel walked through the Red Sea. Uh, But that's not obvious to um, to the the followers of God at the time, it was only, and it probably wouldn't have been obvious to most of us as well. But it was reve- it was revealed to Paul, and he put it in the in the scriptures for us to read that there was that type of baptism. But baptism was a whole new thing. Um, the uh, the people at the time didn't know anything about it, so God needed someone to go before Jesus uh, to introduce this new concept which really was an old concept, but people didn't know that. Um, so we'll start with this bit of dialogue in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 7. But when he, which is, refers to uh, John the Baptist, saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits, meat, or worthy of... Repentance, excuse me, and think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. So John the Baptist is saying it doesn't matter what uh, what your lineage is, just because you're a, a descendant of Abraham, it doesn't matter. It's um, it's part of uh, your individual uh, attitude toward God. Uh, Fruits worthy of repentance. Verse 10. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. I indeed baptise you with water unto repentance. Okay. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptise you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. John the Baptist says this because he's got a lot of followers. And I'd imagine hundreds of people went out to him to be baptised. And, uh, and they, they even, uh, in another account, they questioned, is this bloke the Christ? Uh, is this the person we're, we are waiting to see? And John the Baptist says, no, I just baptised with the water unto repentance. Okay, um, uh, The person that comes after me, He's mightier. And even, he says, there's this correlation. John the Baptist says, look, I'm not even worthy to carry his shoes. You know, like this man who comes after him is uh, a son of God. He'll baptise you with the Holy Ghost. And, uh, and by comparison, he's comparing himself to, uh, to Jesus Christ. And baptise you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Verse 12, whose fan is, is in his hand. And he will throughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, 
but he'll burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan, unto John, to be baptised of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptised of thee, and comest thou to me. And John the Baptist's right, you know, as he said in, um, in verse 11, you know, uh, Jesus Christ should be baptising John himself. Um, but what's Jesus' response? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfil all righteousness. And then John suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptised, went up straightway out of the water. So Jesus went under the water. And lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. A pivotal moment in Jesus' life was his baptism. It was only after baptism that this voice from heaven said that this is my beloved son uh, in whom I'm well pleased. That didn't happen before or, uh, or an end. It happened after he was baptised. And Jesus says it fulfils righteousness. So I'll go through a few scriptures about uh, what baptism means. And this is the first one. Baptism fulfils righteousness. So righteousness is being right with God. So you can't be completely right with God without being baptised. And by full immersion, completely under the water, as Jesus did. And there's an odd scripture here in verse 12. It says, Whose fan is in his hand, and he will throughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, and the chaff will be burned. So baptism creates a difference. A stark difference. A stark difference between this seed, which is planted and bears fruit, and there's reference to that earlier, and chaff, which is blown away and burned. That's the power of baptism. And uh, we heard in testimony that uh, Rod was told that the worst that can happen is you get wet. And on this, in our natural mind, we think, oh, all we're doing is getting wet. But before God, there's this phenomenal... Uh, uh, it's more than symbolism, but it's a phenomenal act before God, which is uh, it, uh, to, to the, in the eyes of the Lord, it's a remarkable thing that creates such a difference between uh, fruit and chaff. And as I said before, it, uh, it fulfills righteousness. Without it, you have no righteousness. Um, Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16, and this is, uh, this is pivotal. Uh, there's an, another account uh, in Acts different to this account, but an account of Jesus' last words to his followers. And wouldn't you want to grab hold of those last words that Jesus says before he was taken up? So here's uh, some of Jesus' last words. Mark chapter 16 and verse 15. And he, Jesus Christ, said unto them, his followers, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptised shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues, 
They shall take up serpents, and if, any, if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So then, after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. So here's another aspect of baptism. It says in verse 16, He that believes and is baptised shall be saved. Saved from what? Death. Saved from this untoward generation. Saved from this world. Saved from the same uh, consequence of those around us in this world. We'll be saved from that. We'll be saved from the, uh, the, the result given to the chaff. We'll be that fruit that bears, that, uh, that seed that bears fruit. And these miracles, again, testimony, we shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Wonderful thing. There's hope as a result of uh, following him, of good things, of, uh, of mending that which is broken. And there's signs that follow. What a relief for that as well. It's not an airy-fairy belief or a feeling, you know, uh, that there are signs that follow those who believe. And uh, we heard in testimony as well, uh, speaking in tongues is uh, an important one. They're all important, but that's one that I'll highlight at this stage. So there we go. Those that are baptised will be saved. Acts chapter 2 and verse 37. Acts chapter 2 and verse 37. This is uh, Peter had been explaining uh, what the, the general public had seen. They'd seen the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and uh, people were quite confused, this new thing. And uh, he'd been explaining what it all meant by revelation. Amazing how Peter brought uh, so many scriptures together to explain what happened on this day. We get to verse 37, Acts chapter 2 and verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were all pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Can you tell us, please, what must we do? Verse 38, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptised every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. A great little package there in one verse. And uh, we read before in uh, Matthew chapter 3 that, that uh, John the Baptist was baptising unto repentance. And uh, it says here, Be baptised every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You'll receive the Holy Ghost and it will dwell within you. But here's another aspect of what baptism does. It says here, Baptism is for the remission of sins, i.e. forgiveness of sins. Now, this can also be baptism of the Holy Ghost. You know, there's some, some of these scriptures that I'll read. Some will be uh, specifically water, and sometimes it'll be referring to both. But baptised here in water for the remission of sins, and you'll be baptised with the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's the way you could read that as well. And when you receive the Holy Spirit, you'll speak in tongues. Over to uh, chapter 8, Acts chapter 8. Wonderful little story here. Um, 
of an Ethiopian travelling uh, back home, quite a prominent Ethiopian. And um, we'll re- start in verse 26. Acts chapter 8 and verse 26. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert, or it's deserted. Not many people live there, and we know geographically where that is. We know where the Gaza Strip is. So uh, in that area, that's where uh, this, this man was travelling back home, and, and the angel uh, spake unto Philip, saying, Look, can you please go and meet this person? Verse 27, And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot read Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to, his, to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And that's out of Isaiah chapter 53. So uh, at this stage, the New Testament didn't exist. So the, uh, the Ethiopian is reading the Old Testament and he's confused um, uh, about what he's reading. Verse 34, And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? We know now that uh, he's speaking about Jesus Christ. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. So what's important here, I want you to think of, is the Ethiopian is reading the Old Testament, okay? And here's Philip who comes along. He's been baptised unto repentance. He's received the Holy Spirit. He speaks in tongues. We can, we can understand that. And he's been asked by the Lord to explain the scriptures to this, uh, this travelling Ethiopian. And all they have is the Old Testament. Okay, now Philip knew quite well that that scripture in Isaiah chapter 53 was referring to Jesus and how he was sacrificed and the purpose of that. And it says here that Philip spoke and began at the same scripture. So he had the Bible open and said, this is what you're reading. And uh, and we read on and read through that chapter. And um, the Ethiopian... No, we don't have his name, do we? He would have heard of Jesus. I mean, Jesus' fame went everywhere. <laughs> uh, thousands of people followed him, and, uh, and there's references further. And so Philip was explaining that whole thing. You can only imagine what he was saying um, with only the Old Testament to refer to. Verse 36, And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me? To be baptised. So the discussion that Philip had with the eunuch, referencing the Old Testament, was about baptism and the importance of baptism. Maybe referred to John the Baptist. Maybe referred to all sorts of things that had happened in those uh, three and a half years. And it inspired 
the Ethiopian to be baptised. So much so, hey, look, there's water. Can I get baptised? There's enough there I can be fully immersed in. What hinders me to be baptised? And Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. With that explanation, the Ethiopian understood. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And it wasn't just one chariot, I bet it was a whole train of chariots and animals tagging along to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptised him. And when they were come up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. Like beforehand, the Ethiopian was confused. I don't understand what I'm reading. I know it's God-inspired word, but what does it mean? Afterward, he's rejoicing. Praise the Lord, I understand. I've been baptised. I've done something that God asked me to do. How awesome is that? We've all felt that. We can have empathy for this Ethiopian. And it's a wonderful little story. Um, Acts chapter 19. So we will read in the Bible uh, two accounts of people receiving the Holy Spirit. This is the first one. What happens? Acts chapter 19. And because we're talking about baptism... Uh, I've chosen uh, this one and the next one. Acts chapter 19, verse 1. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coasts, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples, finding certain followers of God in Ephesus. And he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. What a tragedy that was. These are followers of God and they'd never even heard of the Holy Ghost. Only a few years after Jesus Christ uh, rose from the dead. And he said unto them, unto what then were you baptised? And they said unto John's baptism. And I've said this many times, that if they were baptised and they weren't told about the Holy Spirit, they weren't baptised according to John's baptism. Because as we read in Matthew chapter 3, John's baptism was all about, I baptise with water unto repentance, but the person after me will baptise you with the Holy Ghost and fire. That was John's baptism. The package, the full package. So they were told they were baptised unto John's baptism to repentance, but they weren't told about the Holy Spirit and being baptised with the Holy Spirit and fire. So in verse 4 it says, Then said Paul, John verily baptised with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him. That is on Christ Jesus. So he's laying it all straight for them. This is John's baptism. When they heard this, they were baptised again in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them and they spake with tongues and prophesied. And all the men were about 12. The start of the Ephesus church, the church of the Ephesians. So they got baptised again. The full package. And that is uh, completely my testimony. I was baptised when I was 17, fully immersed, baptised, but I had no idea about the full package. 
came to the Revival Fellowship in 2002 and the whole package was explained and I was baptised again. And, uh, and it was just so wonderful and I did experience a wonderful relief after that baptism. The first baptism, I experienced confusion. <laughs> but when I was baptised the second time, it was a relief. I had a peace about me. It was just fantastic. Um, back to chapter 10, Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, so through this chapter, is uh, Peter is called to speak to the Gentiles, which was uh, contrary to uh, what he uh, was allowed to do under the old law. He was called to speak uh, to Gentile people, and, uh, and he was explaining the things of uh, the truth and the things of Jesus Christ, and we get to verse 44, so Acts chapter 10. And verse 44, while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word, and they of the circumcision which believed, and these of the circumcision which believed, they were baptised and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they spoke in tongues, they were believers, signs follow those who believe. So this is a group of people that went with Peter to this household of uh, Gentiles, and as many as came with Peter because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. There was something wonderful that happened, that the circumcision could be astonished that the Gentiles received the Holy Spirit. Verse 46, For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptised, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptised in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. Okay, they received the Holy Spirit, wonderful joy. And then Peter said, well, wait a minute. These people have been chosen by God too, just as we have. Let's not forbid water. Because he knew, Peter knew, that uh, those that are baptised are saved. Those that are baptised, their sins are forgiven. So uh, they became these these uh, people that were uh, shunned by God's followers were now a part of God's kingdom. But then we go on in chapter 11, verse 1. And the apostles and brethren that were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So you'd think this would be a wonderful thing. And when Peter was come up to Jerusalem, they that were of the circumcision contended with him. They argued with him. They were used to the tradition that they'd been brought up with, generations of tradition to not be associated with the Gentiles. So uh, they had an argument with Peter. Verse 3, saying, Thou wentest into men uncircumcised and didst eat with them. But Peter rehearsed the matter from the beginning and expounded it by order unto them, saying and describing uh, the events and, uh, and so forth. But we get down to verse 15. And as I began to speak... The Holy Ghost fell on them as on us at the beginning. Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptised with water, but ye shall be baptised with the Holy Ghost. For as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us, who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I? That I could withstand God. When they heard these things, they held their peace 
and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. So once they heard this and they understood this, they rejoiced. You know, wow, this whole thing, this whole um, salvation thing, you know, people receiving the spirit, baptism, speaking in tongues, is limitless. <laughs> you know, it can be, that must be like, the eyes must have been opened, like, wow, all these people I know that are so-called Gentiles can be a part of this wonderful thing, this wonderful movement. And it was God who proved it to them. God proved it to them with a miracle. They spoke in tongues. They received the Holy Spirit. They were one with God and could, could therefore be baptised underwater. And it changed people's perspectives completely from that point. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. So now, there wasn't just a separation between God's followers and the Gentiles. That's a that's a fleshly thing, a carnal thing. There's a separation now between those that have been baptised with water and the Spirit to those that haven't. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 26. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many as you as have been baptised into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. This is a powerful thing. Baptism is very powerful. It's unifying people. It's unifying people. doesn't matter if you're a Jew or someone else. If you're a, um, a slave or you're free or even in prison or free. Uh, it doesn't even matter if you're male or female. We're all the same, equal uh, through the Spirit because we're all one in Christ Jesus. And then what it says, it was a reference that, um, that John the Baptist said, that he said to the Pharisees and Sadducees, don't grab hold of the fact that you're descended from Abraham. You know, because through the Spirit, in a type, we're unified as if we are all descended from Abraham, God's friend. That's the power of baptism. And heirs, the same heirs of promise uh, that Abraham was given. Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 1. Sorry, beg your pardon. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 1. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands and of resurrection from the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this will we do if God permit. We'll just stop there. So the wording in these three verses, it says that baptism, the doctrine of baptisms, laying on of hands, resurrection from the dead, 
repentance, faith toward God, they're fundamental. Because it says there, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation. So baptism is amongst that. It's a fundamental thing. Baptism is uh, important for everyone. It's so fundamental. And then from that, once baptism has occurred, you can then go on and look to other things, other wonderful things in the kingdom of God. You know, the miracles and so forth, uh, getting, having your life changed for the better, seeking the Lord, getting answers, uh, wonderful miracles, experience. Um, coming to meetings and hearing testimonies and learning about uh, what the Lord's done in other people's lives. But the bare minimum includes baptism. Now, it does say in verse 3 that we will do it, we'll keep uh, teaching people about baptism if God permit while we're here on earth. But then it goes on verse 4. It says, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. So this here, the reason I read on to verse 6, the power of baptism, it's once. When it's done right, that's it. No more is needed. Even if someone, as the wording it says here, even if someone falls away and does their own thing, rejects God and, uh, and leads their own life. But after a time, like the lost son, comes back. You don't baptise them again. Because the power of baptism, when it's done properly as a full package, only needs to be done once. That that foundation in our lives that cannot be moved. Um, Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 and verse 3. Romans chapter 6. And verse 3. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptised into Jesus Christ were baptised into his death. And that adds some explanation as to why when we read in Hebrews 6, if you're baptised again, you're kind of laying Jesus up as an open shame. Because when you're baptised, that full package, as per uh, Jesus' plan, if you're baptised unto Jesus Christ, you're baptised into his death. It's like you are dying with Jesus Christ in the eyes of the Lord. Verse 4, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. We lead a different life now. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. That makes sense. If someone's dead, they can't actually sin anymore. They can't do anything. 
Now, if we be dead in Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So reading that, it's a mixture of baptism in water and baptism in the Holy Ghost. And it's a whole new life that uh, in a miraculous way, God can only see the good spirit in us. In a miraculous way, if we continue to follow him, and seek him and do the best we can to follow his commandments, God can only see good. All he can see, the sin that's in us, he can see that as being dead. Very dramatic, but it's the power of baptism. And it says in Colossians 2, it says, Buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. Okay, we'll finish up with 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 20. One last aspect of baptism. Which is actually a very simple aspect you don't understand the aspects that I'm bringing out in the scriptures, you'd be able to understand this one. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 20. Which sometime were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a-preparing, wherein few, that is eight souls, were saved by water. The like figure, whereunto even baptism, doth also now save us. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. So the aspect here of baptism, yes, as I've gone before, it said before, it, um, it does save us. But here it writes its... It, uh, words it very well. It's an answer of a good conscience toward God. God has asked me to be baptised, so I'll do it. Jesus Christ got baptised by full immersion. Of all people on the planet, he's the one who probably didn't need to, but it fulfilled righteousness even for Jesus Christ. So if Jesus Christ did it, then I'll do it. I don't understand all these things. I don't understand how it's a death and um, all these other things. Like fulfills righteousness. It's just water. There's nothing special in the water. But because Jesus did it, because God asked me to do it, I'll do it. That's a good conscience toward God. And also this other aspect of not putting away the flesh. We still live here on earth. We still drag this body through this life here on earth. But, uh, but, but that good conscience toward God. Okay. Thank you.